brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to your favorite charity. No contracts, nationwide coverage, risk-free guarantee. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. When someone tells you what they're doing, sometimes it's good to believe them. Often our adversaries will do this, and they'll give us details that we might miss if we're not paying attention. Such is the case today, because the modernists remind us that they are building a new church. They're bringing up on the people to do it, and they're planning for the future beyond Francis. You know, Cardinal Pell had been planning for that future too, to try to stop them from achieving their goals, when he suddenly went to his personal judgment rather unexpectedly. Keep the late Cardinal Pell in your prayers, please. Anyway, our story today paints a picture for us of a Vatican moving in a new direction for their grand operation to build the ape of the church, which comes from Catholic prophecy. And, you know, the people behind it aren't really hiding it anymore. They don't really know what it is they're doing, honestly. They think they serve the Holy Spirit, which makes them true believers, and all the more dangerous for it, be more so than being mere opportunists. But on the chopping block today is the question of doctrine. Will it or will it not change? And now as we progress through this broader story of Archbishop Fernandez and his dancing around the issue of whether he will change doctrine or not, let's keep something in mind here. The modernists speak openly about building a synodal church. That is the language they use. They're admitting that they're building something new. Not that they're renovating the church or opening windows to let in some fresh air or adding a new coat of paint or something to the church, that language would imply that it's the same church, that they're essentially just freshing it up a bit. Still troubling language, sure, because the church doesn't need to be brought up to date, it doesn't need freshening up, but that is not the language they use, not anymore. That is the language of the 1960s, and it's so out of step with their current goals, they've stopped using that language. Now they tell us just the plain, honest truth. So before we get to Archbishop Fernandez, we go to this story. Headline from National Catholic Reporter. Pope Francis appoints men and women to build a synodal church. That story was posted on July 14th, about a week ago. Note the language. Building a synodal church. It's an odd choice of language when we're about to hear in a minute or so from Fernandez that he's not trying to change doctrine at all. But let's go right to the horse's mouth for this one. What does Francis mean by building a synodal church? Quote, Lately, Pope Francis has been busy appointing men and women who support his vision of a synodal church to positions where it really matters. This is evident in his recent appointments to the College of Cardinals, the Synod, to the Roman Curia, and to archdioceses. These appointments are important because, as every management consultant will tell you, Personnel is policy. An organization can have wonderful policies, but if the people responsible for implementing them are not on board, those policies will fall. On Sunday, July 9th, Francis appointed 21 new cardinals, 18 of whom were under 80 years of age and therefore able to vote for the new pope in a conclave. After these new cardinals are created at a consistory on September 30th, there will be 137 cardinal electors, three more than the previous high in 2001 under John Paul II. 72% of the cardinal electors who will elect the next pope have been appointed by Francis. 
which makes it more likely that the next pope will continue the direction Francis has charted for the church. End quote. Just an aside here. While it is absolutely true that there are no guarantees when a conclave is held to elect a pope, it is also true that statistics like this are rarely wrong. Sometimes the math doesn't lie, regardless of what people may think about the Holy Ghost coming down and anointing some man in the crowd pope personally, or however people think it works, but that doesn't actually happen. And it is certainly possible that the next pontiff will be a Benedict XVII, which honestly I don't think would be much of an improvement over things. Or it could be a Pius XIII, but it's highly unlikely. It's much more likely that we'll get a Francis II or a Paul VII. The math is highly in Francis's favor on that score. But that's not the important takeaway here. This is. The article goes on to list how 50 of the voting participants at the Synod, 360 people total, will be women. Lay women for the most part. And that's unprecedented. And the article enumerates all the new appointments to the Roman Curia, which are radical in nature. Then we get this, quote, These recent appointments show that Francis now understands that personnel is policy. Many of us wish he had focused on this, especially in the U.S. and in the Curia from the beginning of his papacy. Francis, however, prefers to go slowly and incrementally when it comes to changes in policy or personnel. Those of us who want change may be disappointed by this incremental way of proceeding, but more rapid change in Protestant churches has often resulted in schisms something popes want to avoid at all costs. This incremental approach to change will undoubtedly surface in the Synod as well, as Francis tries to balance the impatience of progressive Catholics against the fears of conservatives, end quote. He is building a synodal church. He just won't be around to see the end result of it since he insists on going relatively slowly. And I say relatively slowly because back in 2015, Archbishop Fernandez told the press that when Francis sensed his time was running short, he would speed the process up considerably. Which now brings me to this story from Pillar Catholic. Headline, The Growth of Catholic Theology, Pope Francis' Doctrinal, doctrinal Chief Speaks. So Archbishop Fernandez has taken a lot of heat for saying, that he won't combat heresy, but will instead seek to allow theological dialogue. People rightly held his feet to the fire for that one. Now imagine the doctor of the church back in the early days of the church, dialoguing with the followers of Arius or Nestorius. It would have been, frankly, unthinkable. Unless by dialogue you mean making sure the heretic is actually a heretic, and then asking them to repent of their errors. But no, that's not what Fernandez means. His interviewer from the Pillar asks him about his differing view of the role of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith and its job of pre preserving the integrity of the faith, as referenced in Francis's letter to Fernandez that was published publicly by the Vatican. Now, here's what Fernandez has to say about that. Quote, Look, if you read the Pope's letter carefully, it is clear that at no time does he say that the function of refuting errors should disappear. Obviously, if someone says that Jesus is not a real man or that all peoples who move around to new lands should be ended, that will require strong intervention, you think? But at the same time, that intervention can be an opportunity to grow, to enrich our understanding. For, an ex for example, in those cases, it would be necessary to accompany that person in their legitimate intention to better show the divinity of Jesus Christ 
where it will be necessary to talk about some imperfect, incomplete, or problematic related legislation. In the letter, the Pope says very explicitly that the dicastery has to guard the teaching of the Church. Only that at the same time, and this is his right, he asks me for a greater commitment to help the development of thought, such as when difficult questions arise, because growth is more effective than control. Heresies were eradicated better and faster when there was adequate theological development, and they spread and perpetrated, perpetuated when there were only condemnations. But Francis also asks me to help collect the recent magisterium, and this evidently includes his own. It is part of what must be guarded, end quote. That's honestly, I think the focus for him is making sure Francis's stuff is buried in the magisterium. Honestly, it sounds like, though, his strategy is a recipe for allowing heresy to foster and spread. It's an approach, though, that could be used by traditional clerics and theologians who speak publicly about without being officially sanctioned for errors. Assuming, of course, that justice is fairly meted out in the current Roman Curia, but we know that's not true. Just remember what I told you about Father Marco Rupnik a couple of days ago. A priest who has a taste for the ladies, specifically consecrated ladies, meaning nuns, whom he used his power or influence and weird prestige as a cudgel to have his way with them. He was dismissed from the Jesuit order, but Francis lifted his excommunication, and Rome stated that they'd continue to use his weirdo artwork in parishes and for official church functions. Technically, cases like Rupnik's get handled by Fernandez's DDF, though he wasn't involved in that case, to be clear. Later in the interview, he admits that in his own handling of past McCarrick-type situations, he didn't act drastically enough, which he claims he's learned from. I have no confidence that he'll correct the Rupnik situation, but I'd love to be wrong about that, and if I am, I will happily report on it when it happens. But this is worth highlighting here. One of the central issues of concern for the Synod on Synodality is the treatment of what we like to call around here the James Martin sin and the blessings of those pairings. Some have suggested that the Church can bless, get ready for this one, chaste friendships, not blessing things that are objectively sinful. I don't know about you, but I've never thought about having my buddies and I get a blessing from a priest for our friendship, and the idea sounds like an attempt to get a James Martin blessing through the back door. Archbishop Fernandez isn't precisely clear about the stance on this either. He has said he's open to uh, revisiting the topic of blessing such pairings, but also won't change church teaching on that, which says you can't bless such pairings anyway. Now, is that clear to you? No, I, I didn't think it was. Quote, I said that it would not be bad to rethink it, nothing more. But an interview is not the most appropriate place to do that. Hmm. I will have to talk to many people and listen to the dicastery itself, pay attention to what comes up in the synod on synodality, etc. But not necessarily to contradict what that document says, but perhaps to enrich and expand it. On the other hand, there are expressions that are theologically correct, but that can be easily misunderstood. For example, the expression, God does not bless sin, is certainly a phrase that Francis would not use so easily without making sure that respect is clear for what specific people might be experiencing. End quote. Note the inclusion of the Synod on Synodality there. Francis has repeatedly said that the Synod is a movement of the Holy Spirit. Who would he be to deny what he mistakenly believes is the Holy Spirit if the Synod of Synodality formally requests that the Church bless James Martin pairings, or ordains women, or whatever? Would he say no? 
would Fernandez? I doubt it, but then again, Francis will probably say something ambiguous that will cause the likes of James Martin to prance with glee, and the like-minded bishops around the world to start instituting the blessing in question in their dioceses, likely in June and maybe even on the feast of Saints Peter and Paul, just to add insult to injury. And on that issue, the National Catholic Reporter had a weird article recounting the controversy surrounding Archbishop Fernandez's book on kissing and played defense for him on it. And it's such a tired topic, it was almost not worth talking about at all. But they buried a detail in this article about James Martin pairings and blessings for them that's directly relevant. So here we go. Quote from that article. He, Fernandez, has acknowledged that some of his writings were sent to the Vatican anonymously, after then-Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio appointed him as rector of the Catholic University of Argentina in 2009. That, the controversy resulted in a two-year delay in his being cleared for the job. Fernandez wrote about the ordeal soon after Bergoglio was elected Pope Francis, recounting that a newspaper article he had penned about James Martin Parings had been included in the anonymous dossier, and that an unnamed Vatican congregation, believed to be the one responsible for Catholic education, repeatedly refused to receive him to explain himself. End quote. Now here it's worth remembering that because of that article, he was put on a watch list by the then Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the same dicastery he is set to take over in just a couple of weeks. He was put on that list as a suspected heretic. Yes, According to Cardinal Mueller, whose job it was at the time to do such things, Fernandez was suspected of being a formal heretic a decade ago. Now everything seems fine, and Francis is bringing him on as a change agent. Welcome to the Synodal Church. What do you think about this? Are you surprised by any of what I told you here? I expect we're going to be hearing more and more from Archbishop Fernandez before he even begins his job as being the prefect for the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith, which he's set to do, I believe, in August which is only just a couple weeks away. But let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. And like and subscribe. If you haven't, it does help. So to sharing this on social media, that helps a lot too. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.